Welcome to the Rose Garden. I'm Holly. And I'm Julia. And we're desperate for the rose. We are here with Desperate Housewives. It's been so very, very, very long since we were able to recap an episode of The Greatest Show of All Time. I know. I feel like at this point we need to be far into season three or four, but we're still early in season one i guess we're not really we're We're like yeah maybe even a little more because aren't there usually like 20 something episodes per season so yeah so past halfway the halfway mark was probably before the christmas hiatus because we are now february 13th 2005 episode 14 love is in the air it's valentine's day baby love that romantic so this song title is really obvious when we get into the episode why it was chosen it's a song that was cut from a funny thing happened on the way to the forum i believe it replaced a song we've already discussed pretty little picture cool yeah let's just get into the episode we start with mary alice talking about mothers and how most of them will tell you their child is a gift from God. But there are some days when you wish you could return them. I love Mary Alice. She's so savage sometimes. The way she comments on these other women is incredible. And I really, not to already derail, but thinking we just finished White Lotus season two. And thinking about the housewives in a White Lotus resort. I feel like they need to be merged. They do. There is some way that this concept can come together with Desperate Housewives and White Lotus. It would be so good. It's the the same kind of satire and poking at wealthy behavior. Yeah. That just would fit so nicely. Gabby at a White Lotus. Everything. Oh my God. I would... Anyway, I've already derailed. I was just thinking about Mary Alice narrating White Lotus. That is oh, what I so funny. So funny. It would be so good, but she's narrating Lynette. Of course, Lynette's kids are terrors. So they make her shitty gifts and she always has to pretend to like them. And this year, they got her a potted plant, hand-painted. They made it. Where'd you get this? I also just want to point out the insultingness of the fact that this is a hand-painted pot from stolen from Mrs. McCluskey who got it on vacation and Lynette's like oh my kids were able to paint that right like is she delusional in what world would her kids ever be able to go from a hole in all of her mugs to making a cute little potted plant like what makes no sense. She's absolutely delusional. Karen sees this potted plant that Lynette puts out on the porch, which also it's like an indoor plant. Right. right. It looks yeah. like it should be inside, but I guess it was stolen from her porch. So who knows? Karen flips the pot over to check to see that the price tag's still on it. And sure enough, it's there. So this is our first introduction to Mrs. McCluskey. Oh, yeah. We haven't met That's her. That's an unceremonious way for me to intro her. I am so sorry. Yeah, we haven't. We haven't talked about her, have we? No, this is her first episode. We are meeting Mrs. McCluskey for the first time. Karen McCluskey. And we see her as the crotchety old lady next door. But honestly, Lynette's the villain the entire fucking time. Absolutely. Also, I'd like to point out that this is her first episode and the youngest 
she is on the show at this point, but she looks the oldest she ever will be. It is really true. They make her look the oldest in this first episode and allow her to, like, get more presentable with time. Like, they really go for, like, kind of witchy old witch next door vibes. She straight up in this episode looks like she does not live in a well-established home. Like, there's something going on there. Unkempt hair. Like, yeah. yeah. Right. Totally. Absolutely. But this is Valentine's Day, so men fuck up Valentine's Day. Boys do it too, clearly. These children fucked up Valentine's Day. The men are all scrambling, but fortunately, all the women are distracted by the gossip of Paul saying Zach killed his baby sister, Dana. Oh, yeah, that's where we left off last episode. Wow. Okay. All right. Just a little detour, a little seamless segue into talk about child murder. Yeah. I love the idea that the men are frantic about Valentine's Day, but like, it doesn't matter. You know, there's a high schooler or middle schooler, whatever the fuck his age is on this street, potentially killing his baby sister. So, oh yeah, we got things to talk about. Susan's still suspicious because Paul's explanation doesn't really explain everything. Like, why did Mary Alice say her name was Angela? And why were there no signs of any other kids living there? Which, granted, it's been so long since a baby died there. You wouldn't see you, so I don't think that's a good... Yeah, that's not a good... The Angela thing, it. that's... I can't remember. How did Susan find out that Mary Alice said her name was Angela? Bree stole the tape from her therapist's office. Yeah, so Bree is is sharing that information with the ladies. And then now Susan is yes. like... It is a group thing, if you will. Yeah. Everyone's brainstorming and putting their pieces together. Right. Which brings us over to the Felicia and Paul of the episode where Paul has a standing order for flowers for Mary Alice that arrived at Martha's house accidentally. I don't buy that. I don't either. Like they were delivered to Paul's porch and Felicia came up and used it as an excuse to just go in and picked him up off Paul's own porch. And he's like, these were delivered to my home. Absolutely, because Felicia is that unhinged. She is so fucking shady. Everything this woman does from day one. It's so interesting. Like, what a sad reality when you're a widow and you forget that you have a standing flower order for your spouse. That is like, a really right. sad thing to think about. And also for, like, breakups, too. Like, right. Actually, I feel like that's a plot device to use. It is. Makeup. It totally is. Right. So circled back around again. But Felicia used this as her excuse to get into Paul's house because clearly she's suspicious of Paul from day one. Right. But this is the first time we see a reason for her to be suspicious of Paul because she recognizes a picture of Mary Alice on the fridge and says, oh, my goodness, that's Angela. She worked with Angela in Utah. Paul denies it. And Felicia appears to let it go. We all know this bitch ain't letting it go. No, of course not. And she goes through her old photo albums and finds a photo of Angela and she confirms. So now she actually has a reason to be suspicious of Paul. I love the way that this show so nicely puts in like bits and pieces here and there. Like earlier, we have Susan bringing up an old fact that I'd forgotten about from maybe a couple episodes ago that Brie mentioned. And then we have Felicia kind of wrapping it up with confirmed like that is not Mary Alice. That is Angela. All tied together. It's such a beautiful little puzzle. Right. Like a woven tapestry. It is. It's so good. So Gabby and Yao Lin are in this power battle, which honestly, 
Gavi starts to look like real bad in these episodes oh, yeah. like moments oh, it's pretty cringy to watch like race at play here and like just derogatory gross behavior happening she fires her after being called out for her looks being her only quality yeah yeah Lynn is like you yeah you have nothing going for you basically Ooh. yeah the only reason you have anything is because you're pretty right so Gavin gets this modeling gig for the siesta king the siesta king it's so absurd she has to go in the store and model the mattress has to go and lay in a silk nightgown on a mattress just all day yeah the the entire concept of that is so weird she had to remind people that there are a lot of things you can do on a mattress besides just sleep if you know what i mean that is exactly what he says and it sounds just like him Oh, you should be a siesta king. Say, am I the siesta king? In our Desperate Housewives reboot, reboot, that is your role. I can't wait. Well, Gabby has the audacity to disrespect selling mattresses. So the siesta king decides to fire for bad attitude. They give this like saga of like different customers laying down on the bed. I died at like the stereotyped lesbian couple. I know you die at the lesbian. So funny to me. And then Mitch Boy really gets me. Yeah. And then she's done with the Siesta King. So she gets a job at a beauty supply store. She finally learns her little lesson that maybe the thing that she needed to work on was her pride. And she swallows her pride and gets the job at the beauty salon. These episodes are very much throwaway episodes for Gabby. They were too busy with other things. They wrote barely any plot in for her the entire episode. And it's unfortunate, too, because then they just make her look really bad. So I'm like, if if it's not like help. it out. Right. It's so weird. The last and They really breathe past her moment of growth. It's very much like we don't exactly. really see the growth. You see one moment and bless Eva Longoria really sells it well. You can see the entire process in her face of Gabby having the moment, but it's literally a blink. Like it's one moment and it's over. They would have done better favorite. to just not have her do any plot line this episode. Yeah, that would have been fine, but because obviously finished- Carlos is in jail, so she can't have a romantic valentine's day plot line just like leave her be leave her be leave her alone there was plenty um, going on this episode we didn't need it absolutely well yellen sees her takes yeah. this opportunity to have gabby serve her so like gabby is talking down to her while she's putting her makeup on right and that's the thing her little moment of growth is completely erased by her saying her speech to yellen being i'm gonna pull myself up but from my bootstraps i've been rock bottom before i'll climb back up again that's the real difference between you and me and you're like what? I can't yeah. the whole moment of you realizing that the thing you needed to do was swallow your pride I know they do do that with Gabby. It's really frustrating. Yeah, they did her dirty, but that's literally it for her in this entire episode. Well, the meat of the episode basically is Mike and Susan. Mike and Susan is the juiciest part of this episode because Mike has reservations at La Petite Fleur. There's a moment where he's outside and Lynette's sons are hiding from her. Hiding because mommy's going to threaten to spank them. Right. Right, right. Empty threat, though. And Mike has, like, a cute little moment with them. You should just face the consequences now and get it over with. And he, like, carries him on his shoulders, I'm pretty sure. And he verbatim says, I can't wait to have kids of my own someday. Right. And Susan suddenly, oh, shit, I wasn't planning on having more kids. This is something we need to talk about. 
But we know Susan doesn't like to rock the boat. So she, of course, has to go to Julie to discuss what she should do. She burdens her daughter yet again with trying to get advice from her on what to do. And Julie's like, it's better you find out now that you guys are incompatible in this way because it could be a deal breaker. Thank you, Julie. But of course, Susan's probably thinking, well, now that means I shouldn't say anything because she's so in la-la land. Just a mess. Meanwhile, while Susan's trying to figure out what to do, Mike is back to being Mr. Creepy, breaking into neighbors' houses. Forgot he was doing that. Yeah, what is going on there? What the fuck? He's creepy. Oh, yeah, that's the thing he's been doing is going into people's houses. Forgot about that. It's really shocking how easily it is to forget it. It's so easy to forget that Mike is that sus because Susan keeps having her little role where we're all convinced that Mike's good. For the most part, we see Mike through Susan's eyes. Exactly. We don't really see Mike objectively or through a different perspective. Sometimes they show it, but then it's not every episode, so it's so easy to forget that that's going on. Like, oh yeah, yeah, he's got a weird sus deal with that guy, that old man, there's shit going on. He's breaking into a house, accidentally breaks into a house that is currently occupied by one of Bree's NRA friends. Oh my god. Can you imagine if Mike broke into Bree's house and Bree was the one who shot him? That would have been really everything. I would die with her like beautiful little pistol. Her, oh, like, it would have been sexy. <laughs> I love that. I love Girl that. Handles. We should have had that happen. And then there was like, this point of contention between Bree and Susan because she's like, your boyfriend was in my house. That was the problem. We wouldn't have had the surprise because Bree would have been able to identify him as Mike. Yeah. So that couldn't have worked, unfortunately. But. He also has reasons and an excuse to go into Bree's house and snoop around because he actually knows her. So I'm sure he's checked out Bree's house already. Oh, yeah. Very true. Good point. Um, Anyway, yeah. Mike is shot. Has a sus-ass doctor come to his house to stitch him up? Why does he have a sus doctor is my question. Like, does he not have insurance? No, because he doesn't want to be asked where he was shot and have a police... Which is what eventually comes up when he has to go to the hospital. Yeah, he doesn't want to report it. It, They have to report gunshots. So true. He doesn't want a police investigation. That's the reason. Because he also, hmm, someone was shot in my neighborhood breaking into a home and they never found the guy shot. Gee. Right. Susan might be able to delude herself into thinking that's not a problem. But Mike knows what's up and is like, yeah, that's not going to fly that's not gonna fly not at all he has this weird doctor that he seems to know from way back when the doctor sees a photo of deirdre who i forgot we knew and he says it's a wonder how a kid like her could get so messed up just all these little random hints on about deirdre basically what we know is that mike was with her at some point and that old man is her father and the hot chick is her sister yeah no or yes yeah 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 sister sister and that's like all we got basically it still unclear like why he's breaking into neighbors houses doesn't seem like a good plan no it seems silly like in fairview what did you think was gonna happen Right. And also, what did you think you were going to find that was going to answer your question by breaking into their house? It's so strange. It's not well thought out, Mike. Honestly, Mike and Noah. Do Mike, Mike is also, when the doctor says it's a wonder how a kid like her could get so messed up, he's kind of annoyed with him, too. Like, why did... I think he reacts kind of strangely to the doctor saying... Oh, Mike does? Okay. Yeah, sure. I don't know if he said anything, but he was kind of just like, like, don't talk about her, basically. Yeah. Yeah. He didn't want to engage in the yeah. conversation, the, that line of discussion. Well, maybe he's the reason she got mixed up in such bad. Maybe he's been accused of that. And so, like, that's kind of 
where it is. I don't know, honestly. Who knows? Yeah, like, did he get her involved in bad stuff? Did she get him involved? Did they just influence each other? Right. Were they bad for each other? Yeah, what, what's going on? What's going on? I'm sure we'll find out some answers, at least. Yeah. But not just yet, because Mike has a date to go on. Susan calls and wants to come over, but he's like, sorry, uh, can't. Please don't. Please. She's like, I can see your car. I can see your light on. You're home. He's getting stitched up by a doctor. She's like, no, we'll talk at dinner. So annoying because it's like, girl, why can't you wait for the nice dinner to have the conversation? Like, just chill. Yeah. Susan's. This is a particularly annoying Susan episode. It is. It's so annoying. Getting to our next scene of. Le Petit Fleur, whatever the name is. The waiter is fixing a wobbly table right when Susan arrives in the worst dress. Oh my God. First of all, it is so short, so unbelievably short. Her cooter's about to fly off if she walks too fast. It's about to fly off. Can you imagine? She yells, my cooter flew off. It's silver. It's so shiny. I could see my own reflection in it. She literally bought this dress from Party City. It's awful. And also to wear to a nice restaurant. What are you doing? Also, she's got a silver bra underneath, but I can see the bra and like the little bow on the strap. Like, what are you wearing? That was really confusing because it was one of those cowl neck uh, dresses, which doesn't need a bra. No. So I'm like, why are you wearing a padded bra? Terry Hatcher always wears a push-up bra, Julie. Right. That's it in her contract. It was, she was like, I must. I wonder if Terry Hatcher was like, I need this dress. Like, please don't pull me in anything else. I'm obsessed with this dress. She's like, this is the one. And they're like, all right. It's already going to be like really short. You want it to be silver too? Like, isn't that a little tacky? No. Okay. No, this is my time to shine. All right. Shine indeed. You are shining. My God, she is so shiny. And mostly it's like, there is no restaurant where that is the appropriate thing to wear. Not a single restaurant on earth. No, not in any any setting, any no place. Country, no country, no fucking planet is no. that appropriate. If you sit down and your cooter's out, maybe it's not appropriate. Maybe it's not the waiter who's under the table that's the problem. Maybe it's you and your dress, Susan. Just saying. Why is the waiter... The, the timing of this, I was, like, watching back. I'm like, this is so hilarious. Like, he comes to fix his table as she sits down, sees her crotch. She fully gets up, knocks... Does she knock the table? He... No, he bumps his head or something. And, and it's knocks. a nice cacophony because she sits down and the waiter's under there frozen. Like, what do I do? Susan senses there is a body under her table. And then... Gets up, knocks over another waiter who knocks a woman into Mike who catches this woman so she doesn't fall. And in the process of catching said woman breaks his stitches. Yeah. And then the red wine is being poured as he like starts bleeding. Beautiful shot of the red wine. We see lots of blood being, you know, compared to other like pasta sauce. It's very much of that moment. Uh Red wine's being poured and we see the blood stains start to grow on his stomach and susan decides it's a great time to tell mike about the kids thing he is sweating she thinks he's upset she's like oh no i'm upsetting he's like i gotta go where she's like oh no he's so upset about the situation and collapses his jacket flies open 
who just revealed can you imagine though being susan her delusional self-centered ass so in her own head thinking things and then like suddenly he collapses and literally in her head she's like i'm i broke his heart so much he collapsed and then you just see the blood and go i can't answer that one your cognitive dissonance just suddenly like you'd start questioning yourself like wait how did this come to be i would be like did i just stab him with a fork and i didn't like what right like did right. I, what is going on but we get to the emergency room where susan hears what's going on with mike and hears that it is a gunshot and his explanation for how he got the gunshot all the doctors are talking about it going yeah this is bullshit he really thinks we can believe that he shot himself and he can't remember who stitched him up and susan's like he might be sus right and then she like goes into the room meanwhile he's like moving his feet around everywhere like wiggling oh my god because there's his room is behind glass walls and i think he didn't know when terry hatcher was gonna enter the room so when the shot would actually be on him because he's just kind of like rearranging the blankets with his legs and he stops once she's in the room and they're in the scene together but he was like flailing his feet around it was yeah. so funny like clearly like, not like clearly not injured enough yeah he says he accidentally shot himself while cleaning his gun and was too embarrassed to tell susan and he didn't want to ruin valentine's day hmm. do we buy it susan really really does she buy it in this moment? I feel like it's hard to tell. No, we don't get a real conclusion to it. He also assures her that like he just wants to be with her even if he can't be a dad. So. Right. I think that throws her too because she's like, well, the thing I was worried about is no longer the thing I'm worried about. No, yeah. it's very different to worry about. What is going on? Right. Right. Maybe we'll find out next episode. But moving on to Bree and Rex. Oh, yeah. They are struggling. Brie updates Dr. Goldfine that she and Rex are back together and throwing a dinner party and that she's put her feelings about the affair in a little box and doesn't plan on opening it. <laughs> Love them for This is very much my family's method of emotions and dealing with stuff. You know what I do is I just bury my emotions down and I just don't think about them. I love the idea of like instead of the, like a burying, like putting in them in a little box. It's with so neat. Like, it's just such a, like, and I put the box on my shelf. I know. It's like, it's hard to tell Brie that, like, come on, sweetie, this is not healthy behavior. Girl, girl, no. <laughs> she still senses that Rex is hiding something, and that's what she can't get past. She's like, Dr. Goldfine, and she figures out, she's like, you know what it is. And whatever it is is so bad, you get this weird face when I bring it up. <laughs> and Dr. Goldfine's, you know, obviously trying not to break confidentiality she does not get it out the answer out of dr goldfine but when brie and rex discuss their valentine's day plans of roses toffee and sex that sounds like a great valentine's day i love toffee toffee's great brie uses this as an opportunity to ask what he wants sexually because clearly he is not into whatever she's laying out and he finally finally tells her he likes to be dominated Oh, he doesn't quite understand. So he shows her some videos. <laughs> what the hell did your mother do to you? So Freudian. Every uh, this comes up like a couple times where she like blames a mother or a father, and it's like, why do you have this like really old school idea of how psychology works? <laughs> That's what she's probably studied when she was in college. It's just old school <laughs> shit. She's just got dated information. You actually want me to hurt you so I can feel pleasure? Yes. And so she slaps him and says, 
wasn't good for you too. Well, she does decide she wants to be open about dominating. Rex explains the role play aspect of it. She compares it to a little play. Like we're doing a little play. Sexy thing in the world is a little play. Let me just tell you right there. I would say, like, I get where Rex gets, like, irritated by Brie. But from a naive standpoint, and if I were newly dating Brie, she's so cute. Like, yeah, sure. It is a little play. Let's just try to put it in context she can wrap her head around. Yes. Yes. And if that means a little play, it means a little play. I died when they start talking about their control words. Basically, they're like safe words. It's interesting. Safe word is such a common vernacular at this point. But in 2005, I guess it really wasn't because they called it a control word. It's very strange. Rex wants to use Philadelphia and Bree is like, my Aunt Fern lives there. Well, think of something else. Boise. Boise. Rex is like, come on, we need something serious. A funny word like Boise will ruin the mood. Something serious. How about Palestine? (laughs) Fucking delivery of that one kills me. The way she thinks about it is like, what's a serious place? Palestine. So Rex settles on Boise. It's too funny. And Rex suggests they start with handcuffs, but Brie needs to run them through the dishwasher. And I appreciate that Rex says, you know what? Go for it. You do that. Cute little conclusion on where they're about to head in their sex life. Before they head into their little play. Before they head into their little play. Now, circling back to Lynette and McCluskey, because they were really the through line of this episode. Lynette lays out an array of spanking weapons to threaten the boys with. Instead, she makes them write an apology letter. Such like a bullshit little punishment. Like, that's not punishment. You still need to punish them. Yeah. Sometimes, like in these early days, like what, what if going on? takes so dramatically. It's either it's just too much or not enough. You're like, wait, when do you decide to be serious? And like, she, the, the thing is, is that she relies too much on improvising her parenting. I feel like Lynette could have benefited from maybe reading a little few more books. Like, Lynette doesn't like to like, be told what to do. Exactly. And I feel like I would never give that advice to anyone, but Lynette needs it because she just fully goes with whatever she's feeling in that moment. Notice how she like laid out the spanking weapons, realized it's not going to work. And then in that moment, she was like, oh, an apology letter. Like nothing is thought out. Well, I wouldn't say that moment is an example of nothing being thought out. It's actually kind of the opposite. She lays out the spanking weapon knowing she's not going to use them and says, all right, if you promise to never do it again, that just this once, you'll write an apology letter instead. And oh, she smiles. Mommy, why are you smiling? Do you know what psychological warfare is? Fully plotted. Yeah. You're right. I forgot about that. I thought for a second she laid them out and then realized, eh, this isn't going to work. And then she just defaulted. Yeah. <laughs> no, you're yeah. totally right. It was part of the whole warfare situation. Yeah, so it's like the threat of it is punishment enough. Like, no, that's not true. It's still, no. It's, the kids are going to figure that one out real quick. Right. So McCluskey then breaks into Lynette's house to go search for her hand-painted wall clock. And Lynette is reasonably upset about the barging into her home. The apology letter was not appreciated. McCluskey thinks that was kind of a cop-out. They should have said it to her face. And that Lynette's boys would have been better raised by wolves. 
she gets McCluskey gets pretty mean here because I know Lynette is like cleaning up upstairs and then Lynette like throws a ball or something at or pillow at McCluskey as she like leaves the room but man if someone told me like your kids would have been better raised by wolves I would have been so mad they'd certainly be cleaner and these are their attempts to make Lynette not the bad guy and try to like make her valid in her insanity and we see this a lot with Lynette in general in plot points throughout the entire series but somehow we're supposed to think Lynette's not the bad one yeah yeah Lynette's usually the bad one Lynette is just chaotic anyway Lynette runs McCluskey out of her house goes on and tirade about how you know she's falsely accusing her boys and whatnot Oops, except Tom finds a stash of stolen items from around the neighborhood, including the wall clock that was painted by McCluskey's son and stolen by the children who would have been better raised by wolves. All right. Lynette's like, well, shit. And she sends the boys off to go apologize. Lynette kind of swallows her pride in this by having the kids apologize. Oh, I skipped the whole part where Lynette threw an egg at Yeah, yeah, we did skip that. I was like, oh, we'll go back to it. But yeah, the boy's bike is in the street and Lynette refuses to move it, which is so annoying. First of like, all, you're it, it's fucking bike out of the street. Bike. I like, would have done exactly the same thing. I don't blame McCluskey for being upset. Oh, I would have run the shit over that bike if she refused to move it. Like, fuck you then. Right? So she says, so then Lynette is like, you must say please, as if McCluskey's like a child. Don't talk down to me. I'm twice your age, bitch. Yeah, right, exactly. So she runs over the bike and says please, which was so iconic. Lynette grabs an egg from her groceries and she throws it at her car. And then Karen has her moment where she's like, you got to clean this up. And Lynette throws another egg right at her head. It's just like such a back and forth, like they're little kids. Fully. It is the most juvenile feud of all time. Right. Ridiculous. Then after the egg incident, Tom finds the stash of stolen items. Making it even harder for Lynette to admit she was wrong because she was so very, very out of line. Very out of line here. And yeah, has the boys go apologize to Karen? Lynette waits outside. So weird. McCluskey invites the boys in, gives them peanut brittle and says, all right, give me your apology. And like, we're sorry, they say in sync. And she's like, the fuck? Kind of apologize that. And they have the audacity to ask her age. And she's like, what? She asks them their age. Oh, yeah, right. You're right. You're right. Also, the boys are now six years old. They were four in the pilot. So in 14 episodes, they have aged over a year. Guys, the age issues in this show are so obscene. All over the place. And the boys guess that Karen is 150. We get a soft moment from McCluskey where we learn that she has a son and her son passed away because the twins see the twins see a photo of him, but he died when he was twelve because he got sick. So sad. And we also like that's where we piece together her son painted that clock. This is why that clock was so important to her. Right. Right. And it's so nice to see that tender moment from McCluskey. And she sends the kids off, goes, all right, thanks, kids. Get out of here. Yeah, basically. And now we kind of wrap it up with Mary Alice. In her heart, Lynette knew she probably would never love her neighbor. Never realizing that love is the one thing she and her neighbor had in common. Cute. And Lynette comes up to Susan. 
to pull her aside for a little chat, leaving us off with a nice cliffhanger where Lynette found Martha Huber's bracelet in Mike's garage, or the kids said they found it in Mike's garage, which granted, that is really not the most reliable source. You think Definitely it remembers not. where they found each item they stole? But also, like, how shady these little kids are going into Mike's garage, find a bloody bracelet, yeah, and then I- bring it back to their place? Like, these poor kids, are, they probably know there's something weird with this bracelet. Like, they're not clueless. They don't know what, they don't not know what blood is. Yeah, but crusty old blood dried up, honestly. Like, oh, yeah, I guess metal, I would, it would just look dirty. Yeah, that's fair. They're just kids collecting shiny objects that they find, you know? They're so weird. It's so weird. But yeah, very sus. Now we know that this was planted, but no one else does. And that's the end of the episode. So yeah, fun one. Very packed full of action. I know. So good. Worst dressed is obviously Susan in that silver dress. That's the only outfit I noticed because it's all I could, everything else paled in comparison. It was so odd seeing Susan dressed like that. And then Mike in his like classic, was he wearing his jeans with his suit jacket? Because he always wears that. Always. Oh, I think he might have been in like some dress pants for once, but. Okay. All right. I'm going to have to maybe go back and look to see because Mike is always wearing casual jeans with a suit jacket i'm like what are you doing bro he definitely could have been i have no idea but either way that dress was all i saw and the p for the episode who do you have uh this episode's not my favorite to be honest there's not kind of sucks everyone kind of sucks but because we we know how we feel about karen mccluskey i would give her mvp she teaches lynette some good lessons lynette humbles herself a little bit because of mccluskey all of that, I feel like, was well-deserved, so. I think that's a good one. I'm going to go with Brie because she's opening her mind and t- willing to try BDSM with Rex. Love that for Brie. Props to Brie for that. How fun. I can't wait to, to find out how this goes with her. Me too. I cannot wait for next episode. Sweet. <laughs>